Well, welcome to another Art of Relations podcast. I'm Chris Grace. And I'm Tim Mielhoff. And uh, we come to you uh, every other week or so uh, looking at different relationship issues and uh, topics related to marriage and, and right. how to do things that uh, in a relationship that not only maybe surprise the world sometimes, Tim, but give us a whole different way of looking at uh, uh, the lens to look at relationships right. and marriages. Because um, from a Christian perspective, some things seem pretty weird and different. Yeah. Some things seem amazing. And uh, the world sometimes sees things and looks at issues, let's say, like divorce in a yeah. very interesting way. And we just ran across that recently with some uh, news out in the world. So let's talk yeah, about and, it. And we purposely decided not to use the name of this Hollywood couple. One, because honestly, we don't want to pick on them. And uh, But we do want to read the statement that they put out. And again, let me just say this, Chris. Uh, kudos to them for not wanting to have a bitter divorce, in the, right? Because they have a child. Uh, who's six years old. So I, I give them kudos for saying, you know what, we're, we're not going to make this nasty publicly. But but in their statement that they released why they were separating, getting divorced, you really do get an interesting insider's perspective of what motivated their marriage. So here is a part of their statement. This is what they said. We have lovingly chosen to separate as a couple. We fell deeply in love so many years ago and have had a magical journey together. Absolutely nothing has changed about how much we love one another, but love is a beautiful adventure that is taking us on different paths for now. There are no secrets or salacious events at the root of our decision, just two best friends realizing it's time to take some space and help each other live the most joyous, fulfilled lives as possible. We are still a family and will always be lovingly dedicated parents to Everly. Uh, we won't be commenting beyond this, and we thank you all in advance for your respecting our family's privacy, sending lots of love to everyone. Now, that's interesting to think about, Chris, right? Mm -hmm. What's your initial reaction to that as you listen to that? Well, I, I think, I, I know this sounds like a weird connection, but I, I think back to when uh, Ronald Reagan said his biggest mistake he believed politically was when he signed in uh, the fault ba or got rid of fault divorce. So he created oh, no fault divorce. Okay. What he said was, well, first of all, California, when he was governor, signed for the first time underneath his governorship this the first no fault divorce bill. Now, every state now has it, yeah. of course. This was back in, I don't know, back in the 70s, early 70s. And what it did is just this it created an amazing number of people who can now, and our divorce rate surged at that point right, in yeah. this country, because what happened in the few decades that followed this was just this transformation and divorce rates more than doubled. And that was just yeah. in a decade, divorce rates don't double like that. Right. And, and, and so all that to say, it re, when I read it, I think how simple it is to make a statement that we would like to encourage another person to have joy right. And, right. and love, and it's just not going to happen here. Wow, that's an amazing reason to yeah. go ahead and split. Yeah, and so just to uh, bring your listeners up to speed, so before this, before no-fault divorce, you had to actually make an argument in front of a judge who could deny it. That's right. Or postpone it. That's right. When no-fault divorce happened, 
Any reason was good enough. That's no right. one could deny you. Now, it might take six months. Yeah. It might take eight months, a year. But no one can deny your voice. So then you get people saying, listen, we just, we just fell out of love. We, we, we're, we're best friends. Uh, love is a joyous adventure, to quote this couple. And now the adventure is yep. seemingly taking us on different yep. uh, paths. Yep. So, hey, nothing's changed. We yep. love each other. We just don't want to do this marriage thing anymore. Yep. And I, I think... Some th- here are some quick thoughts, Chris, and, and I know you have some statistics on this. So, when I'm reading this, I, I can't help but believe that this is not a beautiful adventure for one person at least, and that's their that, daughter. That's exactly right. Right? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. she's six. We know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and age six, we know cognitively, is a pivotal year, and now she's going to lose one of the primary caregivers, and her world is going to be rocked Mm -hmm. with lasting effects. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of look at this a little bit and I say, man, guys, at such a developmental age, you're now choosing to go on your own adventure and you're leaving her to struggle. So Chris, when you look, when you think of statistics with young kids, what happens with divorce? Well, first of all, the, the, the foundational concern is that we have now, in, in, in this day and age, we now kind of embrace this idea of soulmates uh, as the mm. basis for marriage. And so, your joy, my joy, are now the supreme yeah. uh, reasons yeah. why we stay together, right? So, this idea of an emotional, maybe priority is now being chosen in this case for the two people's emotional welfare over the child's welfare. In the past, we always put the child's welfare at front as to why you would stay in a marriage. I mean, you've experienced divorce as a young kid with your parents, Uh, not experienced divorce, but you've experienced a time in which your parents in this day and age may have been tempted. Oh, absolutely. Oh, Chris, it, that's what's weird about the cultural aspect of divorce. Back then, to be a divorcee, back when my parents, when we were, when we were six, when I was six, it, it was a negative connotation, and you just didn't do it. So my dad, you know, God bless him, uh, my parents struggled, right? It, it was, by the way, they were married for 48 years, and they struggled. But my dad said, you know what, I'm, for the kids, I'm staying, staying in this. Up, yep. And so... Um, we get a lot of couples come up to us at the marriage conferences we do at the Center for Marriage and Relationships. And my wife and I also speak for family life marriage conferences. And they'll come up and they'll say this, Chris. I think it's fascinating. They will say, would God have me stay in an unhappy marriage? Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting comment that we'll get back to. But did you have some specific yeah. uh, statistics? Yeah, and I, and I want to rely on somebody. His name is Brad Wilcox. Oh, He's yeah, a professor yeah. at mm-hmm. Virginia, or he was for a while there. And he, he, he ran the National Marriage Project at the University of Virginia. Uh, and he also is a fellow, a senior fellow at the Institute for American Values. So, and I'll just kind of rely a little bit on some of his research. But he talked about the, what's called the myth of the good divorce. Mm. Because, see, people believe now, and I think this couple epitomized this, that there's a good divorce, right? And the myth is it just doesn't stand up to scientific inquiry. So when he goes and does his research, it shows, wait a minute, the, if you look especially at the welfare of the children that are involved, right. you have you come up with a different picture. Now, here's here's an ironic thing about some numbers that he points out, and I, and I love this um, in his study. 
In times of highly conflicted divorces, that is, there's so much conflict, which is one of the number one reasons why couples separate. There's just too much conflict, right, in the early years, followed by a decreasing amount of of intimacy. Mm -hmm. So that's what they claim when most couples get divorced. I mean, infidelity, high conflict, lower intimacy levels. By the way, that's not this couple. No. No, this isn't this couple at all. Go ahead. And here's the interesting thing about that. In one-third of the divorces, there's so much conflict, they actually find that there can be some evidence that it helps the children because they're not living in this home. That's right. But here's the thing that I, I loved what Brad Wilcox brought out in this. He said in more than two-thirds of all divorces, it doesn't involve highly conflicted marriages. And here's the quote. Unfortunately, these are the very divorces that are most likely to be stressful for children when they don't involve highly conflicted so he quotes a study from Penn State. Some of these, they did this research there that said, when children see their parents divorced because they have simply drifted apart, or because one or both parents have simply become unhappy, uh, fallen maybe not as much, as much in love, the kids' faith in love, commitment, and marriage is often shattered. Oh, absolutely. So that's it. So, yeah. so here's this problem that you've identified. The number one concern is probably the six-year-old child who sees loving parents who are supposedly in love, and now all of a sudden, what's that message? That message of love and commitment is gone for them. By the way, in wake of this, these kinds of children who come out of marriages that are broken up because of these reasons, uh, they point to evidence that shows they're more likely to experience uh, all kinds of factors that put them at risk. Yeah. And so there's just really, I guess to say, the majority of these divorces, they're not in the best interest of the children. And they therefore, they're sacrificing much of this kid's you know, if future experiences of what does it mean for to to be in love and to have a good marriage and to make a commitment, and and that's why we chose not to mention the name of this couple, right? Yeah. We really don't want to pick on them, but 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 what you just said so applies to this, Chris. I mean, remember, go back to the statement: we fell deeply in love so many years ago. Absolutely nothing has changed about how much we love one another. Right? So that's exactly the prototype situation that Wilcox is talking about is this, this daughter. See, if my parents would have gotten divorced, yep. and a Christian, of course, we've done, we've done podcasts on this, right? right. Uh, we believe, you and I both believe that divorce is minimal reasons why you can get a divorce in a Christian marriage. But if my parents would have gotten a divorce, I think yep. all of us would have said, you know what? This has been a long, long, hard road, and I'm not condoning it, but I sort of kind of get it. You know what I mean? Uh This girl is going to be shattered by this. And uh, again, I'm I'm also thinking of another... famous actress who actually came up with a term about conscious, conscious uncoupling. Now, listen, I give her a little bit of break in the fact that she wants to shield her child from that word divorce. Yeah. So, I give her a little bit of kudos for trying to, again, anytime you're trying to shield a child from yeah. lasting impact, I get kudos. But again, that was another situation where they yeah. said, hey, yeah. we're best friends. We love each other. We just kind of went in different directions. And you're saying, Chris, that is what's most devastating to a young 
uh, child. It is. So yeah. these, so the numbers, Tim, that you are asking for are pretty astounding. They, there's a study out of Bowling Green State that looked at um, the, the adult children of divorce. When, when these kids are now adults, yeah. um, they are 47% more likely to be cohabitating, mm. right? And what, what it basically means is that adult children of divorce not only are more likely, but 89% more likely to divorce themselves than someone that was raised. 89, what did eight, you So there's this uh, a demographer, uh, somebody who studied this named Nicholas Wolfinger, and he found that adult children of divorce, mm-hmm. so once they grow up, are more, now 89% more likely to wow. divorce themselves wow. compared to adults who were raised in intact married families. And what that means is these numbers show that what can be for the parent or for the adults in this emotionally maybe, I don't know, satisfying or it feeds into what they need, yeah. it really comes at the expense and sacrifice of the model of marriage, their children's eventual yeah. kind of understanding of love and commitment, and then also even this kid's notion of you know what is right for them and not not right for them. So this and the is precedent has been set, and they, and they've seen it. Even if the divorce was really hard, yeah. but a parent's rebounds and let's say yeah. goes into a second marriage, that's a good marriage. Then the child is thinking, okay, so this is recoverable. Yeah, you can recover from this. And Chris, I think now's a good time for us to stop and say to our listeners, listen, if you're on your second marriage, right. if you're on your third marriage, and you're beating yourself up right now, mm-hmm. right, you're saying, well. I think that couple that you just quoted, their statement sounds an awful lot like yeah. our situation. We just, we called it quits. We yeah. were, we didn't love each other. We didn't have high conflict. We just, right. we just didn't want to do this anymore. And if you're a follower of Christ, you need to know that you've been forgiven. Mm-hmm. That, that the forgiveness of Jesus covers past transgressions, past regrets, and that your current marriage is not a second-class marriage in God's eyes. God can take the marriage you're in right now, and he can say, I can redeem it. I can make it uh, for my purposes. You can be a great witness to other people. So again, we just want to say to people listening, hey, but we also want to say, Chris, to the listeners who are on this road, mm-hmm. right, of saying, you know what, I don't want to do marriage anymore. We're, we've grown apart. We want to say, if you're a follower of Jesus, we don't think that that's biblical grounds mm-hmm. for divorce. Mm-hmm. And and we're going to answer the question in a minute, would God have you stay in an unhappy marriage? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but again, if you're thinking about getting a divorce, it is good to think about the kids. It is good to think about biblical grounds and things like that. Yeah, and likewise, Tim, a third category of people may be those uh, who have our children of divorced families who are maybe feeling, oh, good, you know, they're – is going to be net. Yeah, yeah. And I'm destined to repeat this and you're not. It's just that there's a greater, uh, just having greater odds doesn't mean in your individual situation that you're going to now, um, you know, deal with divorce as a likelihood. Instead, what you're doing is making decisions and choices that you can, including, I I know this sounds maybe self-serving, but to listen to a podcast like this or seeking out information about how to do relationships well, you're already giving yourself all kinds of benefits down the road uh you know and so i I think for those that have experienced divorce like my myself my you know my family we were my parents divorced when i was in the eighth grade and it's clear that i'm sure i'm at greater risk compared to those Mm -hmm. whose Mm -hmm. families you know or who maybe they stayed together 
But I also know that, as you mentioned, God does transform. I mean, what Jesus has done in my life and through you know an amazing transformative work, it does change the way I That's see right. relationships and marriage. And, and, and it has actually even given me hope and greater strength to avoid the pain that's out there. So there, there is, this isn't, doesn't condemn people to life of misery just because of some of these stats. No, and we need to ask a huge question. Um, how would a Christian marriage narrative be different from the narrative we just read about this Hollywood couple? Yeah. In other words, there, there is yeah. a voice in your head that is providing you motivation about marriage, parenting, everything. Yep. So what would a Christian narrative sound like? Yep. And, and one thing I want to bring up, Chris, we can kind of kick this around a little bit, is I wonder if in our culture today, we haven't subtly become used to viewing marriage as a contract. Yeah. Again, we have more litigation in this country than a lot of countries. So is my marriage a contract or is it a covenant? covenant. That's right. And I think sometimes we say it's a contract. So in a contract, here's what happens. Two parties agree to fulfill their part of the agreement. If one party breaks the contract or violates it, then the contract is null and void. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, we had our house painted Uh, the outside of our house, and we picked two different colors, right? Uh, Gray as the basic color, but then we also picked off-white, a a certain kind of off-white. Chris, do you have any idea how many different (laughs) off-whites there are? No, but I imagine there are. Oh, Chris, it's insane. (laughs) But we picked one that we thought would really pop next to the gray, right? So this guy painted our house. He did a great job. But then Noreen and I are walking into the house, and both of us are like, does that white just seem kind of dingy to you? And my wife was like, yeah, it really does. Well, let's just make sure we picked the right white. Sure enough, we did. We had the samples. We put that sample up, Chris, and it was as clear as a bell. He did not use Mm -hmm. the right white. Mm -hmm. So we call him. We hadn't paid him yet, right? You Mm -hmm. know that whole thing. You pay a little bit down payment, then final, (laughs) right? So he comes over and we said, hey, uh, great job with the gray, but the white is off. And he goes, well, uh, yes, I had extra white oh, oh no. and used that white, but it's so close nobody could tell. I oh. said, you know, ironically, <laughs> both my wife and I could tell. So we literally held it up. Yeah. And he said, I'm going to be honest with you. The, we're talking degrees mm-hmm. here. And I said, well, I'm going to be honest with you. You asked us to pick. Mm-hmm. We picked a certain number of whiteness sample-wise. You didn't do it. So guess what? We're going to ask you to redo it. And Chris, he had just a look on his face. God bless him. He was like, really? I said, yeah, because we signed a contract. I think people view marriage that way, right, Chris? Yeah. So define then the difference. what's, What's a covenant? What's a covenantal versus contractual marriage? So I think... For people who are new to this or who are yeah. thinking about what isn't all aren't all relationships contractual? And we would say, of course, in a dating yeah, relationship, yeah. they're mm-hmm. contractual, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's you don't want you're not in a yeah. covenant relationship. But when something occurs, um, uh, such as the importance of a marriage. Uh, you know, the vows that occur there, you're actually vowing in most cases, at least if you did traditional vows, to a covenant relationship, inviting God in, in other words. And so what is that? Yeah. So let me mention a researcher from Rutgers University. He makes an interesting contrast between covenant and contract. Then I'll offer my two cents on what I think a covenant is like. But he said this, 
He noted that marriage used to be a bond of mutual dependency rooted in a religious bond of sacramental worth. Then he says this, Today, marriage has become a purely individual pursuit, an implied and not very enforceable contract between two people, Mm -hmm. a relationship designed to satisfy basic needs for intimacy, dependency, and sex. When those needs change, or when a presumptively better partner is discovered, marriages are easily dissolved, right? You didn't use the right color, and we agreed that you would. Or, based on that Hollywood couple we just talked about, well, guess what? We changed. My needs changed. A a covenant, Chris, is this idea that you enter into it with a a, a higher purpose Mm -hmm. to it, and, and that's what a Christian needs to ask is, okay, ultimately, what's the purpose of my marriage? I think God would say, of course I want you to be happy. Of course I want you to be fulfilled. But that's not the highest purpose of this marriage. Your Mm. your purpose, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, is to mirror God's love Mm. for people, to be a a physical manifestation of the complexity and glory of God's love, Mm. which means Mm. if we go back to that question, would God have me stay in an unhappy relationship? The answer is, for a period of time, perhaps, Mm. as you're working it out, Mm -hmm. he's saying, listen, the big metaphor people need to get as they look at your imperfect marriage Mm. is God's love never stops. Mm. So, the purpose of my marriage with Noreen is people should see some of the divine grace, love, acceptance, and it's a covenant, which means there are times Noreen will not uphold her end of the deal or seasons when I don't, but we don't bail because it's a covenant, not a contract. Yeah, no, that's good, Tim. And I think what what we've lost, I think this would be foreign to a lot of people now, um, Understanding that we are simply uh, people who, at one point, when we said something uh, or we uh, committed to something, that vow meant something, but it seems as if we have now replaced that with a different vow. That is, ultimately, my happiness, my joy... Um, and, and that's, I think, the idea of that soulmate, you know, marital yeah. com- connection that says this, we will be together so long as you are happy and I feel and I'm happy right. and we that's bring right. each other's happiness. Right. And so the covenant is, let's. that's what we'll covenant under, which is breakable because it's based only on feelings right. and emotions right. uh, that are pretty subjective. Yeah. And and of all things can be changed pretty radically. How long before you were married before you realized that marriage is going to take a little bit of work oh, and it's not going to oh, be this all joyful, oh, yeah, all my yeah. amazing moment of just from yeah. now on everything is better. It doesn't take long. Yeah, two quick comments about that. One, I, I like what you were saying about the vow in a contractual relationship really is between two individuals. Yeah. A Christian marriage, oh, think of all the different ways those vows go, oh, right? It boy. is to each other. Of course we're making a vow to each other. But I'm also making a vow to God. I'm also making a vow to her parents. She's making a vow to mine. We're making a vow to all of our friends. Hey, we're in this together as a community. And before God and these witnesses, we make the vow. It's so much richer and more complex a vow than just in a contractual marriage. Yep. And the second thing, just real quick. So, tragically, the couple that we alluded to, this Hollywood couple, they've only been married eight years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mentioned a, a psychologist in a mm-hmm. book I wrote 
who says it takes roughly 10 years to find the rhythm. So think about this, Chris. They're two years away from finding out even what the rhythm is. Mm -hmm. And it's just so sad that in year eight, they're calling it quits. Yeah, I think it just makes it um, more tragic, Tim, that um, what they really don't realize. And and, and I... I know a little bit too, and in, in, in this couple you're talking about, and saw where they said they really tried to work at it, and and life, it's marriage is work, and it's right, hard. Right. But for whatever reason, if you go into this without some of these other additional resources, I think what happens is you just hit these roadblocks, and then you realize, listen, why would I keep fighting for something like That's this? Right. There is no bigger, deeper motive or nothing deeper foundationally for me to do. And I think that's unfortunate that they, whatever reason, not yeah. able to see or be exposed to this idea that there is something more important right now than just your feeling of happiness, that, that there is something greater and deeper. And it has huge consequences for not only them, their child, but for culture and society and the institution of marriage. And here's what this couple doesn't have that you and I do have, right? Is that um, if you left Elisa... Mm-hmm. Right? And you show up at my doorstep mm-hmm. and you say, Tim, I need a place to crash yep. tonight. And I yep. said, Chris, what's going on? Yep. And you said, listen, I just, you know, <sighs> we're still good friends. Yeah. I-, I love her. Yeah. But man, I just, there's so much more I want to do with my life. I'd look at you and I'd say, Chris, which of my martial arts weapons mm-hmm. do you want me to use <laughs> to kill you? Right? Because this is what's going to happen. Right. Noreen are going to kick you out of this house. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we'll let you stay. I think yep. we'll talk to you and say, Chris, yep. Chris, this, right? And we'd want to sympathize. We'd want to, listen, all of us go through bumps. All of us go through this kind of stuff. But Chris, you're part of a community that's not going to let you do this. That's right. It's going to say, Chris, get back in there and fight for this marriage, right? Yeah. That, that communal part of marriage is massive. I think it is, too. I, I think, Tim, it may be uh, what is lacking in so many people's lives right now is we no longer have these authoritative you know, in a good way, not yeah. authoritarian, but authoritative right. communities that right. we surround ourselves with of right. people who believe and then could hold us accountable to these things. Mm-hmm. Because once we've separated ourselves from that, once we hold on to this simple individualistic emotional experience, those feelings change, then all of a sudden now faith no longer matters or what I believe because now I don't have any basis by which to hold on to something. That's right. And so we turn to somebody else. And, you know, I think that's what real love is ultimately what the Bible says, right? It's this, it ultimately is about permanence, right? Real love is ultimately about this idea of choosing to trust, choosing to forgive, choosing to love even when it gets hard. And I, oh, I think we've lost a lot of that. So Tim, this has been a good topic and there's more we can talk about. Yep. Um, and we would obviously uh, be remiss in saying that again. There's a lot of hope. We we could, you know, for couples that are experiencing this, as you mentioned, um, go and seek help. It's not That's too right. late. Yeah. You yeah. can do this. Uh, and we have some other podcasts on yeah. uh, divorce and how to end something and when to that uh, we just covered. And just know that if we actually were friends with this couple that we mentioned, right? Yeah, it would be. We, we, it, it would yeah. be. We'd sit with them and say, "Listen, we get it. It's hard." And you do drift. It can happen. You both have demanding careers that are in the spotlight. So again, I I don't want us to come across as being uncaring and unsensitive. But at the same time, I I think there'd come a time you speak some truth. 
I think that's again right. about their daughter and about uh, yep. we live under a different narrative as Christians, and that that'd be a great evangelistic time as we cared for them yeah. and said that you know. So I, I don't want people to think we're being cold-hearted towards this couple, yeah. but at the same time, it's clear that they have a different narrative than Christians do. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Tim, for that. Um, well, as we uh, just end this time, uh, it's a great conversation and topic. And um, Tim, let's continue thinking through and talk a little bit about other things that can come into play culturally when people see and divorce themselves from um, maybe a biblical worldview, some of these consequences. There's a lot there to talk about. Sounds good. All right. Good visit with you.